nicest sentence in the whole book is uh, in the last chapter, title at Tampa. I was ecstatic in being able to share that magical moment with my son Shane, a former pro at Sheffield United who played his part in helping us to gain the trophy. Is he still out there? No, unfortunately Shane was a victim of the normal football um, procedure, shall we say, of practice, whereby when the club got a new president um, who wanted to bring his new coach, I became a victim of that circumstance. His name was Farouk Karashi, and, and interestingly enough, Farouk had been on record saying to his friends, or he'd give his right arm to work with me mm. um, 10 years prior to that. And he was around at Tampa in 92 when I was there first time. So I knew him. He was someone that we were friendly with. He was a, a British um, expat that had gone to America and studied and then paid for the rowdies in the 70s, the good days, moved, emigrated, stayed there. And we were very friendly, very cordial. But I believe... He, would, he had promised um, this Thomas Rongan, who was one of the you know, main coaches within the USA system that had been coached at DC United and USA under-20s. He promised him if he ever got a job, he would bring him in as his coach. So irrespective of my record, irrespective of the record of finishing, not finishing out of the top, only finishing out of the top three once yep. in four years, of winning the coach of the year, winning the title for the first time in 27 years, winning the coach of the year, winning three fair play awards out of four, and then the, that last one we lost by one booking to suggest that I have a disciplined, organised squad that plays football in the right way, that competes in the right way, but know when and where to, to, to don't go over that line. By the way, so, did you play 4-3-3? I played a, a, very, a various formations because... Depending on the personnel we had, but it would always be three fours of, of, of some note. And even if it was a four two four, it would be the four two four that Real Madrid adopt, whereby yeah, yeah. you have those two forward ones in advance of the two sitting ones, and they play not wide; they play infield. So it's a narrow four four two. And my philosophy was always about interpassing quickly throughout the the thirds into strikers, getting bodies around it and having the overlapping full-backs to give us our width naturally as the, as the move progresses. So it worked a treat for yeah, a number of years. And the thing with America, it's American sport in general, or American soccer at that time, and it was the NASL, which had just been revamped. They were defunct in the mid-'80s, and they mm-hmm. came back again in 2008. And Paul Dargleish was the first coach at the Roundies, and um, he then left in 2011 and I took Paul's place. Um, from an aesthetical perspective, it was very pleasing on the eye. I got a lot of enjoyment from it. And my son played a, a major part. And the season when I got released, he was actually the best player that season. According to, you know, you have your internal assessments being done by three independent people to engraving on who's performed at, at whatever level throughout the whole season. And he got the top mark out of the whole squad um, by about three marks. <laughs> but then because they wanted to get rid of me, he had a, a contract that automatically triggered to go into a final year after he played, I think it was 1,000 and 1,200 minutes or something. They, they go by these fine lines, Johnny in America. It's all stats-based and the related time on the field-based and whatever else. So he, he arrived at the... Uh, required number to get an automatic 
renege on his contract straight away. And then they'd say, well, we'd rather you not be here. But then they didn't want honor his contract. That kicked in. So I had to then take that battle up. I was on gardening leave because they wanted me to sever my contract. And, and I had two years left. They tried to put me into the day I was released. I got two phone calls, one from Atlanta, who was owned by the league, and one from Fort Lauderdale, I believe, who was Ronaldo was something to do with oh, the yeah. base there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they wanted, to, but they weren't prepared to take, take on the contract in its entirety, and I weren't prepared to mitigate it at the levels that they were proposing because they couldn't do any better. And the Rowdies weren't prepared to sever it in the right manner either. So I sat there in Florida, and unfortunately Shane was a victim of that, and he came back to the UK, and he was about twenty. Nine, maybe at the time, 20, 27, 28. And again, it's hard when you've been out of the system, as I'm finding as a coach, let alone as a player. So he, he kind of just went and played non-league in local clubs, Biggles Wade, and, and he played a hitching for a little while and said, yeah, but still, very good player, was at Sheffield United. And, and I think my biggest regret is that we didn't re-sign at Sheffield United when he was 17 because... He picked up a, an illness. He had inflammation in his heart, which he oh, found out late. Uh, pneumonia, and the onset of pneumonia. And he came back to home for three months. And it's, it's just luck sometimes in that respect. And other times it's just knowing when to uh, submit to circumstance. Um, two great lines in this book, Love of the Game. If you can't play without losing, don't play at all. And then the end of the book, I am prepared to continue this journey of many disappointments and sacrifices for the love of the game. You must have had so many uppercuts thrown at you by the game. Rodney Marsh at Tampa Bay and the Luton situation as a player and as a manager. And the fact that only the great Sir Alex Ferguson responded, responded to your request for jobs. Ricky, the great Ricky Sprager beat you for the position at Man U. Did Alex Ferguson, uh, that two-hour conversation that you refer to uh, in the book, because um, he would have remembered seeing you. You may have played Man United in the, six, oh, yes. in the 80s. I think how I actually got to be placed in front of Sir Alex was obviously um, Jim Ryan was at Sir Alex's number two, ex-Luton midfielder. My very first roommate when we played Sunderland League Cup in 1976 away from home. So Jim and I go way back. He's a wonderful man. We played the same position. So, in fact, when Jim went to America in those days to play for the summer, and that season I, I got my chance in the first team, 1976. I think we've referenced the George Best, Rodney Mars, and Bobby Moore occasion when they came to Kenworth Road and there was 20,000 there, and I was put on the bench and sub. I was sub after scoring three goals in the first five games during that period. And then Jim Ryan came back the following week and, Harry Haslam said, well, oh, before that game, sorry, and Harry Haslam said, Rick, came to the training ground, and he said, got me into his car, he said, Rick, listen, so Jim's come back, Jim's on his last good run for us, when you come back to the side next time, you'll never go out again, which I thought was harsh at the time, because I'd scored three in five games, we hadn't won all the games, but I showed I played my part, um, but Jim came back and performed, now Jim then went on to do great things with Sir Alex as his number two, and then take over the under-21 whole development programme at Manchester United. Yeah. So Jim was the one that would put my name forward. I think the post had been available for a long time. They hadn't filled it yet. Sir Alex and, and those at United had done their due diligence by uh, speaking to Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Clive was the uh, academy director. Um, 
with Tottenham, with Russell David Cleek, just generally about me as a character, about me as my coaching um, credentials and styles. And then I got the phone call to, to visit Sir Alex, which was wonderful to spend some, so long with someone of his magnitude, but also his mannerism and his humility and his spirit. So, Did he I serve you some lot. good wine? I unfortunately. Oh, you're a teetotal. I don't. Well, I'm not a teetotal, but I, I don't really like wine, particularly red wine. I don't. White wine is okay, but I really prefer spirits if I'm going to have a drink. I hope that's why he didn't. Not why he didn't sign you. Oh, the kid Correct. doesn't like wine. We're not going to sign him. That's not exactly. fair. Exactly. <laughs> but you know that that story in itself is 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 sad because leaving Carrington, so Alex has said to me, and we'd spoken about everything, and he said you must go back home. Uh, often, because he was preparing to offer me the position, um, you must go back home often because family is important. Um, he said that I must complete my A license because at that time I finished my, I had my B license, but I hadn't completed my A license. But you come here, you must complete it. And then he said Morris Watkins is away; he's the secretary of the club. And when Morris comes back, we send down some details in terms of the terms and conditions, the provisions, and we go from there. So great. So I, I left thinking that I was a shoeing. Unfortunately for me, Howard Wilkinson and Steve Cottrell rolled up to Sunderland during that same week when I visited Sarais as the new manager and assistant manager. And Ricky Severo thought, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to enjoy working together. I don't really know them. So, well, would they want me? And he phoned Craig Brown. He said to Craig Brown, is that position at Man United open? And Craig said, so today I think it is, so I'll make a phone call. That's what took part. And then you interviewed Ricky. Therese called me to say you both interviewed brilliantly. And um, unfortunately, Ricky had his A license at the time, which swung against me. And Sir Alex was gracious enough to, to try to get hold of me to tell me personally. So nothing but praise. And it, it went against me. And Chris Ramsey had always said to me, Rick, just get your license done, sort it out. So they can't make any excuses. If a job becomes available, you're fully qualified like everyone else. And But I'd been away over that period of times in Trinidad in America, so I've been doing other things, so I never got round to completing the A license. I have now, but not then. Was it Andy Cole when he was publicising his book? I think it was Andy who said that there's no point in taking our license if there's no job at the end of it. Now, Liam Rossenior is assisting. Uh, Wayne Rooney at Derby. Ashley Cole is in the kids with Chelsea. Nuno Espirito Santo has a job at a Premier League club. Chris Hewton is trying to fix Nottingham Forest as the latest saviour. Adi Viviash is the assistant at Coventry. Gavin Rose at Dulwich Hamlet doesn't get enough praise. So who's your pick for the next great coach of colour in Britain? Outside of me. Outside of Ricky Bale, obviously. Who who is still available... Yeah, you can just send him an email and he'll respond. Luck plays a great role uh, with everything. And don't get me wrong. The, the issue I had, why I even dreamt that the Rooney rule, or a ruling akin to the Rooney rule, would be suitable in the UK was the mere fact that there, there wasn't enough black coaches who were being asked to, to address those who, the recruitment people within any organisations in order when they were filling vacancies. That was it. The long and the short was to put, be able to put your best foot forward, like everyone else, have a shot at getting the position. And if the chips went against you, then they went against you. You come back another time and do it. But to date, when I saw the Rooney Rooney in 2003, 
that wasn't happening enough. It was disproportionately geared towards non-black um, people. And the black people that had taken the advice of the FA and those within the game of going and get qualified, the time and the expense, getting your pro license in some situations, we still have these licenses within the draw, not being able to use them in a professional environment. And that's well, the long and the short of it, why I thought something like the Rooney Rule would force those decision makers to have to look beyond the historical network that they've relied on, that they've relied on from the agents that they're most friendly with or familiar with, who recommend their players or this player or that, next. he's the next great thing, or even the committee members that sit on the pro license acceptance application and acceptance committee who were, were for the initial part all white without any diversity of opinion or thought or of color sitting within there but they were allowed to pick out who they thought was the the, the shoeings the next best people that's going to be good coaches like you've asked me now johnny the exact conversation they had in 1999 yeah. when Howard wilkinson picked his 12 is 12 to follow for, for the next coach and next great coaches. And again, omitted any person of colour. And then they realised that they hadn't had someone within there and they hastily got Robbie Earl involved on the on the um, to hold his hand to fast track him through his badges. So let, any, let no one be mistaken that there is still and will continue to still be a major issue, a major discrepancy in regards to life after football ex-black players who are 30% of the labour force, let's not forget that, who have set the table for this great game to be taken throughout the world and keep on evolving. But when they can no longer lace their boots up and play, they're suddenly no longer um, person... uh, They're persona non grata. Non grata again, all over again. And when you consider the vast amounts of money that is pumped into this game that suddenly when you finish your career as a black individual and you have to retrain because not everyone is going to have the wealth of a Raheem Sterling or even an Ashley Cole or whoever it is they may in the premiership but what about league one championship league two who have to have another career they you telling me that the the English industry are quite comfortable in, in accepting that these ex-black players who some were elite performers and gave their lives and soul X amount of time to the game, will have to go and retrain because no one will give them an opportunity to even be heard, to be to address, to be to have a job, to be granted as capable for a job. So this is what's fueled me. Because I see that as a total injustice. I see that as a total inequality. And I see that as racial bias. Now, if I'm talking wrongly, I'm seeing that through my truth, the reality of my truth. And all I can ask is that serious intervention has to take place. I keep seeing historical situations. We've had two the other day, the historical abuse with the FA knew about that was, again, pervaded and permeated throughout the system, allowed to, covered up, come back with more policies, come back with other things. We've got the FA Leadership Diversity Code. This week alone, Birmingham City assigned Lee Boyer in the same afternoon as Karanka left. Mm -hmm. Charlton have made two appointments for a men's and women's team, both not non-black, which is their prerogative, but no hiring practice or transparent hiring practice. I didn't realise this. Place. Because it's mid-season. 
then you go. Well, what so about a managerial years. transfer window? What about that? Bring it in. I would, I would prefer that, like they have for the voluntary recruitment code at academy level, when they're not recruiting from within or promoting from within, they are obligated to interview one person from a black or Asian minority candidate who is suitably qualified for that position. No one is more qualified than Adi Viviash. No one. All the stuff no he did with the Chelsea youth. All the Mourinho right. will give him a reference. Abramovich will give him a reference. So you tell me what the problem is, John. Oh, uh, well, I, I know what the problem is. It's the same problem that Anthony Clavain wrote about in Does Your Rabbi Know You're Here, which is, uh, right. which is a brilliant book. And, and the same issue that Lord Treesman, yep. as I've referenced in the book, said in 2012, it has systematic racism within or institutional racism. But it's because of so, fear. It's it's the fear. It's exactly the same thing at 1970s football. The fear of a potential black uprising, or as Chuck D once said, the great philosopher Chuck D, <laughs> fear of a black planet. I just I like to say maybe for one thousand years, women should run the world, and then um, because just the and we are seeing just these great cultural figures. Obviously, there are some who have to go to America to get work because they're more advanced. But I'm a fourth-generation Jewish immigrant of Polish and German and Lithuanian descent. Right. I can see what this country is. And okay. association football needs to reflect the country it operates in. America is following the British model, unfortunately. American soccer. So here I am talking to you now as probably the most successful black coach in American soccer's history, professional soccer's history. Now... I must have, my white Don has sent my CV and phone people for the last five years. And there's been numerous startups in the league below I was operating at, the NSL, which is now the USL. And he's not, he's yet to receive one reply of courtesy to say we're going down this way or that way. So my fear is that they are 20 years behind where we are in England right now, because I've been banging on about the Rooney Rule in football for, for, since 2004. Now, they have no Rooney Rule, except for the NFL. But what they've done, they're trying to align themselves with the UEFA principles, and that's then fed into who runs the organisations, what type of people are there. I have right now four of my ex-adversaries and contemporaries who moved from the NASL and they're now MLS head coaches at Vancouver, at Portland, at Minnesota, at Nashville. And one, another one is at sporting director at Minnesota. Yet still, they've used the NSL as a platform to ascend into MLS. I, who's as a coach of the year and has the second most winningest record in the NASL's history, have not got a phone call whenever White Don has put my name forward. To have a conversation. I agree so, with every mo- every sec- every word of that, apart from winningest, which is not a word we've adopted. I know right, it's a big right, American, yeah. a big word in American sport to medal, to be the most winning. Um, but the, right. the fun fact that I've just learned from this Talksport article, which is, promotes your book Love of the Game, the man who brought the Rooney Rule to the UK, Sam Allardyce has managed eight clubs in the Premier League. There have only been nine black managers in Premier League history. That means that there are almost as many Allardyces as Inces and Nunos and 
Uh, did Terry Connor manage in the Premier League? A caretaker, interim. It was the interim. I don't count, I don't count the interim. You've got the interims in there, uh, Johnny. There's only been two. And I don't really count um, Mr. Nuno down at Wolves because he's not black British. I, I'm, I'm fighting the black British cause. Yeah, so am I. We are. We were pioneers, as you rightly say. What we have now, in terms of the representation perspective, stem from those Luther Blissett, John Barnes, Laurie Conan, Pedro Richards, Notts County, John Chidozzi, Chrissy Hewitt, obviously, Henry Hewitt, um, Kevin Godfrey, Bob Hazel, George Berry, those bygone people that fans possibly have never seen or heard of again from a football perspective in a professional football world. And I think that's such a crime, that's a total injustice, because we, like anyone else, including White, players would love to stay in the game and I understand not everyone can stay in the game but when you do prepare to be to stay in the game but you're not given the opportunity to try to have an opportunity then that to me is bias and it's based on on your race which yeah, is the color yeah. of your skin and unfortunately and I call I'm going to call out the Premier League and the lights because they fund organizations that operate on a non-inclusive manner and they fund them to the hilt, and they still allow them to operate in that non-inclusive manner. But they, they would point to me that they're trying to get their house in order and 25% quotas and targets. But all targets that are, are being set, there's no penalties if they don't set them, so they become rendered meaningless. Whereas there is in the Rooney Rule, you can get fined if you don't interview a black coach for an NFL position. We'll get fined. And people talk about tokenism, but I can assure you, I don't see it as tokens. I see it as an opportunity to woo those people that are sitting there, already got their minds made up on who they want. They've got their favourite candidate. I go in that room and I tell them what my philosophy is. I tell them what I've done, how I've done it, how I took one session with Shuffle Wednesday. And Benita Kerbali said, I train with you tomorrow. Great story. I love that story. I train with you tomorrow. I said, no, Benny. But... This is it. And he's been there for four months. I'm not saying that Peter Shreves and David Plea and those great coaches didn't appeal to him, but he saw something. His words, as in the book, was it was technical, imaginative, creative, uh, intense, Syria R. And that's coming from a player that, you know, people in the UK would, would admire. And likewise, Paolo Di Canio. So from my own perspective, I have no qualms to, know, to, to, to believe that I have a quality that needs to be shared and offered without the world. But getting back to the America, again, and, and the Premier League, if solidarity payments are being made to Premier League clubs and they're not having any appetite to include people from non-white backgrounds or from particularly from black backgrounds, then they should be sanctioned. They shouldn't get that money that they're afforded to, to run their clubs. That's my estimation. And I'm hoping that somewhere down the line, that penny will drop to all those people that have the hashtags, the slogans, the strap lines, the hyperbole, the, knee. the, 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 the performative um, empathy, the knee, but without having meaningful, tangible action plans, it amounts to absolutely nothing. Here, here. My, the, my final thoughts... Jerry Springer style on this matter is I am convinced that if if Sean Dyche for some reason isn't offered the England job, it will be given to Chris Hewton and the assistant will be Chris Ramsey. Tell me why Hewton Ramsey, I hope they're friends, 
I hope they can work together. I think that would be the biggest vote of confidence from the English FA to say Chrissy Cutens have 40 years in the game. Well, he also knows that some of the most talented footballers are of black origin in this country. And I, I'm sure that the, the, well, the people coming through to be English are from all nations in the world. That Ansu Fati, who now declares for Spain, is no more Spanish than you. Yes. So it's, so what yeah. is international football going to be? As someone who has played for England and has... Where do you keep yeah. the England caps? Are they on a shelf? They're behind me, yeah, as we speak now. Wow. Um, as someone they with England caps, do you yeah. think probably 2026, not, not Qatar, but the World Cup after that, the England team managed by Chrissy Hewton uh, with Captain Phil Foden and Jude Bellingham and Deli Alley and maybe a whole 11 of black and mixed race players... I think the question is, what's more likely, England winning the World Cup or a black man managing England? Oh, we just had the FA position that lots of black people have, have applied for. I don't know who's going to get it. I don't think they've announced it yet. But that will be a, a major change, 150-year history, and without having one black board member to suddenly have the chairman. So I don't hold my breath on that one. On the England managerial position, once again, culturally, it's not being embraced totally. It's better now. Gareth has done a wonderful job in, in regards to integrating all people from different cultures, uh, but they are British, which is wonderful. From the managerial side, you still have to go through the system. And again, until you break the system, the mould, and, and fracture it, you will still continue to get the same results. Hence, you keep getting the repeat managerial managers who lose their job because they haven't been very good and not done very well. But three months later, a club in their wisdom decides that this manager whose last track record was not very good could be the person that we're looking for. And I'm baffled by that because I always thought that you would be judged by your body of work and your last body of work in particular has, has, has a kind of significance, I would believe, if it's only three months ago. So what makes them think that this person that didn't do so well after being at this club perhaps for two years or three years would now be the perfect fit for our club? So I can't get my head around that. Um, I never will do. But in respects to you, you cannot get that level of change and that sea change without proper diversity and people, as you say, that look like the normal society in that room when these decisions are being discussed and talk, spoken about. And if they're the wrong people, even though they are black, you still come up with the same result. Because my pet peeve at this moment in time is there's certain policy in place that really doesn't affect anything. It's supposed to help. I'm not sure if it helps. It might even hinder. And you know, like I say, from the two examples of this week at Birmingham and at Charlton, then what's the point in the voluntary recruitment code or the leadership diversity code? What is what really is the point? Because no one is really taking it seriously. I'd love to finish on that, but we can't because I don't like finishing on a negative note. So good, instead, I will uh, look to the forward because there is another gentleman's name on the cover of your book. Love of the game. The man who brought the Rooney rule to the UK. Ricky Hill. Inquire within. Uh, but the forward is by... Uh, a gentleman who's got a podcast. Are you going to listen to this Ian Wright podcast that's just started where he goes and meets heroes? Maybe you're I one should, of them. I should really listen to it, but to be honest, I mean, I'm not the best 
podcast guy. You know? I'm, I'm not. I don't drive any great lengths, which I know that's a particular enjoyment for certain people whereby they they drive and yeah, they yeah. listen to their favorite podcast. I don't really go that far now. I'm not working it, as, as they say. You know, we are in the pandemic. So I've never really got into the habit of just sitting there and, and playing the podcast. But I will, because Ian, you know, one of the greatest supporters of me personally, you know, since my career ended as, as an individual, everything I've asked of Ian, if I was setting up my soccer school in Harlesden, he would come and represent. When I was going to America at my 30th birthday, he was at my birthday party with Mark Bright and others who have always lent their support, uh, which are great people, Paul Elliott and Garth Crooks. Yep. But Ian has been tremendous. And, I, and I'm proud and chuffed to bits that he's had the post-career that he's had, the wonderful, brilliant career that he had. And remember, he came in at 23. He was one of those that I used to go and watch, which is in the book. In Rains who, Park. In Rains Park, in Wimbledon, who couldn't get an opportunity. Always get an opportunity, but it was being turned down. But never gave up, persevered, showed his courage, had that natural street ball skills that we grew up as kids in the park, how we played. And he had that. And when he got the opportunity at Paris, you know, the rest is there for everyone to see. So he's come through the journey. He understands the struggle. Where I'm now at, I'm at the second fight for equality. You've heard my background. You know my family's background. You know my brother and sister were high achievers. They were told, you know, we never looked upon being inferior or lesser than anyone else. So I just want the same opportunities everyone else would get if I'm worthy of that. But today, my history, my career, my football ability, my England caps, my coaching caps hasn't amounted to opening any doors to having conversations. So to me, I think that's that's injustice in my estimation. And football, in my estimation, they're missing out on something that would be fairly yeah we need no more ricky hills we need more ricky hills in that respect we need people to be visible and we've got michael richards with his cackle uh on match of the day and jimmy genus and the great alex scott and of course ian wright the next generation we hope there will be black coaches to rival chris ramsey and chris hewton someone not called chris um but if you want the story of a man who is beloved in a certain part of Bedfordshire. Uh, and we're talking the weekend of Luton against Watford. Good luck to Luton Town. May the best team managed by Shishko Munoz win. It, it, playing for pride, I think. Um, Luton will be safe by mid-April. So oh, if, if you just let us win, so we can escape the division uh, that you're in, that'd be great. There's no friendly game when it's Luton and Watford. I mean, you know that. We, we always play to win at every game. I'd imagine, particularly with Mick being there and being, knowing Nathan, the character that he is, Listen, this game will be epic. I'm hoping there's goals. I'm hoping it's a spectac- uh, spectacular affair. I'm hoping that, as you say, the best team wins. The Rooney Rule wasn't what I was anticipated to bring. I was going to take certain parts of it, which I'm proud to say that other industries have seen the wherewithal of having that diversity and that um, open, transparent hiring recruitment process using parts of the room law. And again, I'm the first person to think of this, the visionary of it, to, to go to find out about it, to bring it to the UK, to gift wrap it to my union. So people at ITV, Channel 4, BBC, England cricket team, rugby, uh, South African rugby side, they've all used portions of it. 
to address the imbalance and the inequalities. So from my perspective, it's, it's already been a winner for me. And I'm hoping that our industry will look at 30% black player, 0.03% black involvement post their playing career, either as coaches, managers, or any other administrative role, an ambassadorial role, or um, general secretary role within the game. So I'm hoping that there's going to be uh, uh, some serious movement and some serious reform on, the, on those points. Can we call it the Ricky Hill rule? That's entirely up to you, John. All right. Again, I was told at a young age, self-praise is no recommendation. Uh-huh. So I would never, I never push myself up for something that. Someone has written to Gordon Taylor and suggested, just like everyone else who has been a visionary, for things that have helped the country to move forward and change things, such as Tony Adams is, is referenced oh, as God. Priory Clinic, yeah. um, person that helped Priory Clinic. So why is it then that someone who was a visionary, the architect of it, suddenly it's named after Mr. Dan Rooney, which is great because he was a, the, the chair in America, but he's now over in the UK with the FA and various other people. So, again, I'll leave it to other people to, to suggest whether that's right or not. Uh, yeah, the ultimate irony is that Dan Rooney is a very, very Caucasian man. Oh, dear. It's like rain on your uh-huh. wedding day. Um, the Ricky Hill uh-huh. rule will come into force, and uh, I look forward to sharing this book, Love of the Game, the man who brought the Rooney rule to the UK. You've played for England. You've, you're a man at Luton, and yet you are the guy who brought this rule, the Ricky Hill rule, as it shall henceforth be known, to the UK. What are you doing for the weekend, Ricky? Johnny, I'm going to enjoy my my granddaughter's company oh, tomorrow. How is, old? Uh, she's going to be one on the 30th oh. of March. And she's absolutely adorable. She's given me a whole new life, uh, lease of life in regards to still continue to go because the one thing about the book that's great that it's out is that she can be proud no matter what happens from here on in for myself her granddad done this indeed and if she wants to learn about the incredible circumstances that we haven't mentioned uh that means that her great great grandpa went from india to jamaica is that is that right her great great grandpa your great grandpa that's correct. Is the surname Suki or Suki? Suki. Suki. S-U-C-K-I-E. Suki. Yeah. My great-grandpa came over from India and worked the Levinery, the land of a John W. Hill, yeah. for five years. Whilst he was there, he had their first child, and him and my grand, great-grandmother, and that's my grandfather. And he, and his name was Gertrude, but they registered him as John W. Hill after the land they were working. They then had one other son whilst the five-year indentureship before it ended, and his name was George Suki. They went, they kept the Suki name, and then they subsequently went and had four more children, and their names were Suki. They didn't add Hill at all. So I came from that Hill descendant. After five years, they had to make a decision whether to stay in Jamaica or go back to India, and they felt that the two children they had would have a better chance in Jamaica. So they stayed in Jamaica, made their life, had then six children. My granddad had 11 children, and my dad's the only one that married someone from out of the Indian ancestry. And extraordinarily, yes. Ricky Hill 
played for England and the cover is brilliant and it will go on the shelves of the football library. Uh, written with Adrian Durham, uh, who can be heard on TalkSport most days. Uh, and there is a great piece uh, that talks more about the race issue uh, on TalkSport.com. Well, enjoy your time with your granddaughter. What's her name? Alea. Alea, yeah. A-L-A-I-A. When I wrote my book... I talked about how Ashley Cole, the best in the world at what he did, he was the best attacking left back in the world, and yet people still booed him. So uh, I've read Emmy Anora's book, Pitch Black, which is basically just Emmy going, oh, for God's sake, why can't things change? So I think this will go next to Emmy's book, actually. Okay, wonderful. If someone puts it in the 920s with the memoirs, this is one of the football memoirs that you have to own, Ricky Hill. Um, well, I have to do this, don't I? Um, let me just go to the, when he gets the ball, he beats them all. Ricky, Ricky Hill. Yes! 